Welcome to Talking Biotech, the podcast dedicated to exploring the latest advancements in biotechnology, sponsored by Calabra, the R&D software that accelerates scientific discovery with AI. Each week, we'll dive into the latest innovations and discoveries with industry leaders and pioneers. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulta. I want to see science serve a useful purpose to improve the standard of living for all people. Why is anyone fighting food advance? A very small percentage of the world's population is fortunate enough to have the luxury of turning down food. We've arranged a society based on science and technology. There was nobody understands anything about science and technology. You can't build a peaceful world on empty stomachs and human misery. Welcome to the Talking Biotech Podcast. It's the weekly podcast about agriculture and medicine with an emphasis on biotechnology and the good things it can do for people and the planet. My name's Kevin Fulta. I'm a professor, and today we're going to revisit an old topic, a topic we covered in episode 12 of the Talking Biotech Podcast, and that is the question of the biotech mosquitoes. So these are mosquitoes that are genetically engineered to essentially be sterile upon release. And males are released. Well, we'll talk about how it works in just a minute. But we're talking with Dr. Kelly Matson. She's the head of research and development and operations at Oxitech. And welcome to the podcast, Kelly. It's great to be here, Kevin. Yeah, thank you. So you guys find yourself in the news a little bit this week. Not necessarily fairly. And that's the reason I really wanted to have you on because this is such an important technology and it's so critical that I want our listeners to have this clear in their heads in their communications. So let's start at the beginning. Why mosquitoes? And what role do they have in global health and even transmissible disease? Yeah, mosquitoes have a well-deserved reputation for being the most deadly animal in the world. And the reason that is, is because they are responsible for spreading malaria, dengue, Zika, yellow fever, just to name a few. And the only way these diseases can spread is through the mosquito. And so we think it's an incredibly important battle to fight these mosquitoes. And Oxitec is working on both Anopheles mosquitoes that spread malaria. And I think what we've been talking about today, the 80s Egypti mosquito responsible for spreading dengue, Zika, yellow fever, and others. So without these vectors, we wouldn't have these diseases. And so we need new tools to control them. And can you remind me of the players in the game again? You mentioned um, Anopheles and Egypti. Go ahead and recap those two again for me. <laughs> yeah, Anopheles mosquitoes are very widely distributed across this planet, and they are responsible for spreading malaria. There are a number of important mosquitoes that do this. The other mosquito I mentioned is Aedes aegypti, and Aedes aegypti is invasive everywhere. It originated in Africa, but has spread around the entire world, everywhere tropical, and it spreads dengue, Zika, yellow fever, and, and other diseases we don't even know about yet. Yeah, here in Florida, we have quite a few that have been popping up, and you hear examples like uh, chikungunya and some of these other ones that are now 
I guess, resident in the state. When I think about some of the other examples, like the um, homeless situation in Los Angeles, where they have, you know, uh, plague <laughs> and, um, you know, and other ancient diseases coming back, typhus, mosquito control is going to be more important than ever. So the, uh, the adoption of this technology really is just a, a better modern version of sterile insect technique. So what is sterile insect technique and how does that work? Yeah, sterile insect technique has been around for a long time. It's been in use for over 60 years and it's a pretty simple concept really. We mass rear insects, we rear lots and lots, and then we sterilize them. Usually that's done with a radiation, but then when you release these outside and they find mates, every female that is mated by a sterile male becomes a dead end. She can't produce any more offspring that can go on to damage crops, to injure animals, to spread disease. And so this technique has been used very effectively. They rear billions of medflies, for example, which damage crops. They irradiate them, they release them outside, and it prevents the Mediterranean fruit fly from establishing in new territories. And so this is a very safe and very commonly used approach the trick is it doesn't work for every insect. As you can imagine, when you irradiate insects, it's quite damaging. You have to irradiate them enough that they're sterile. And finding that balance of achieving sterility but not damaging the insect so it can fly around and find a mate is tricky. And it has been tested in mosquitoes. We're still looking at it. Um, but it hasn't been a, a real winner. They're delicate, these bugs. Um, and so SIT has been a challenge. Now, I see your point there. You're kind of walking a razor's edge. You need something that still is able to um, successfully mate and do its thing and outcompete its neighbors, you know, its, its native population, yet still not transmit genes. That's kind of a, a, a tricky business. So when you look at the Oxitec approach, can you give us some details about how your company has gone about making sterile insect technique a lot more um, uh doable like how what what do you do to keep the the organism still vital and able to reproduce and be very effective at that yet still be sterile yeah so we use a genetic approach to achieve sterility we use genetic modification instead of radiation or x-rays to make the insect sterile and we put this on a switch and so what we can do is in the lab we can rear the males and females we have a healthy colony and then when we release these insects into the wild, they no longer have access to the chemical that keeps their switch off and the self-limiting gene comes on and the offspring aren't viable. And so this is a really excellent way to, like you said, limit the amount of fitness effects that impact the ability of these mosquitoes to go out and do their jobs while also making sure that we um, remove our genes from the environment when we're, we're done doing our work. Yeah, and just to kind of recap that for the audience, there are a number of genes that are lethal when expressed, at least in the adult version of the organism, and we can turn those off in the laboratory. You can you can have those repressed or or really strongly suppressed in in the um, in the in the laboratory. And in the cases of use of this in sterile insect technique, you're able to find um, or genes that are deleterious to the larvae, and you can turn those off. And uh, with a chemical, you know, you just treat the water with something the larvae are in, it turns off the gene, and they can survive just fine and become adults. 
but when they're adults, they go out and mate, and then they pass on the genes that shut the, down the next generation. Is that kind of about where you guys are going? I don't know how much you can talk about it or can't, but is it something that really just affects the ability of the development of the next generation, or are the insects themselves truly sterile? What we've done is introduce a gene um, it's called TTAV. There's a lot of um, literature out there for anyone who's interested. We have over 100 peer-reviewed publications that you can look at. And this gene is non-toxic and non-allergenic, but when it's expressed at very high levels, it prevents the insects from developing. So in, in the lab, we just keep it off. This gene is not expressed. And then when we release them outside, this gene is able to come on and it just produces more and more of itself and it overloads the insect system so that it can't grow up essentially. Yeah, that's perfect. I appreciate the further clarity there because we, we have a lot of geeks in the audience who really are, have a lot of fun thinking about the genes and the mechanisms. So thank you for that. Now you guys have done releases before and what has happened previously in the proof of concept, either from the lab or the best examples from the field? Yeah, so we have released males. Males don't bite and therefore can't transmit disease. So we do male-only releases. Before we do releases, though, we submit large data packs to regulatory agencies in the countries we're working in. We show them that it works like it says on the tin, that the self-limiting genes disappears. We submit safety data that says natural predators can eat these. They're fine. And then the regulatory body reviews it. And then they say, yes, it's safe. Go ahead, do your trials outside. So we've done trials outside in Brazil. We've done work in Panama, in Cayman Islands, and we've had outstanding results. So we release these males. Over time, they find mates. The populations are suppressed, and we've got upwards of 90% reduction in mosquito populations compared to places where they haven't done our releases. So really unprecedented level of control using this technology that then when we stop, disappears from the environment. Well, that's really great. Well, here's the other thought on that is that, you know, if you're not using this kind of technology to suppress them by 90% and you have incidents of disease, how do, you know, let's say in the States, municipalities like, you know, Miami or the Keys or places like that, um, how do they control the mosquitoes if they can't use sterile insect technique? Right now, the keystone tools that are being used are pesticides. So when you have outbreaks of disease, you see helicopters going over, dropping larvicides and using NALED over the, the population. So these are very powerful tools and they've done us in good stead, but they are starting to lose their potency. The more we use them, the more resistant mosquito populations are. So we really are looking for new tools for these vector control districts. That's uh, it's a great point, and I know I read online all the time. I'm you know member of all the garden Facebook pages and things, and I read about people saying that you know they sprayed for insects, um, mosquitoes in my neighborhood, and it, my beehive isn't alive anymore. Or you know they'll come up with things like that. Whether that's true or not remains to be seen, but certainly I take their word for it. But you know we we have this very strong stance against using chemical controls for insects. And as you mentioned, resistance is always an issue. So here's an opportunity for, um, you know, for us to use a new technology. But what about its effects on a larger area like a natural ecosystem? You know, um, mosquitoes are a centerpiece of the buffet for mosquito or for um, bats and um, some kinds of birds. So do these, uh, 
the either the ones you're eliminating or the ones you're introducing, uh, do they have any ecological impacts? We have an exceptionally good environmental footprint in that we don't have one. So first, it's important to know that these mosquitoes are invasive. So Aedes aegypti is not native to the U.S., it's not native to Brazil, it's not native in Panama. And so it's not a species upon which any other animal relies as a main component for its diet. We're also exceedingly targeted. So we're only impacting the Aedes aegypti mosquito population. All of the other mosquitoes, of which there are hundreds of species, are still there as food for the bats, foods for the fish. And we've done studies additionally to show that, again, they're safe to be eaten by anything else that's out there. So when they're there, they're extra food. And if we were to get rid of Aedes aegypti in a local area, it doesn't limit any other wildlife from continuing to feed and have enough to eat in its environment. Well, so far, the OxyTech approach, the sterile insect technique, has shown to be efficacious, as you mentioned. But, you know, these things are always evolving technologies. Is there really a next generation of, of technology that you have on the drawing board that is likely to um, be maybe even better than the current solution? Yeah, OxyTech have just this in this past year transitioned from our first gen, which is the OX513A strain, to our second gen mosquito. And we've done um, our releases in Brazil and shown, again, outstanding results, 96% suppression. And it's a little bit different in that this time, the self-limiting gene is only expressed in females. And so what this means is that we can rear cohorts of non-biting male mosquitoes every time. No females, no sorting, no factories to make adults. And instead, we can take our second gen eggs, we can put them in a box with food, with water, and put them in your garden. And over the next 10 to 21 days, adult male mosquitoes will release themselves from the box and go out to do their work. So this is an incredibly exciting development. Without genetic modification, you can't rear a male-only cohort. So it's an advantage that OxyTech has. And additionally, um, it opens this new way of deploying that means this technology will be accessible and affordable for even more people. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, that's, that's really neat. And it's a really great place to take a break. This is the Talking Biotech Podcast. We're speaking with Dr. Kelly Matson, and she's the head of research and development and operations at OxyTech. And we're discussing the recent test in Brazil uh, and really how it was misrepresented in the media, uh, particularly in a scientific paper that came out that um, said a few things that maybe just led, th- led us astray just a touch. Um, we'll talk about that on the other side of the break, and we'll be back in just a moment. Hello, Talking Biotech listeners. My name is Nick Syke. And I wanted to take just a quick moment to tell you about No Ideas Media. That's no with a K and a W. It's a media company I've recently started, and its purpose is to have pragmatic conversations about divisive topics. And I'm willing to bet that since you're listening to a biotechnology podcast right now, you'd probably agree that a pragmatic conversation about this topic could maybe be useful, especially when we're talking biotechnology in food, the dreaded GMO. This GMO thing is the first topic I wanted No Ideas Media to cover, so I went all over the place, like Hawaii to Uganda, and interviewed a ton of people, including a pretty awesome guy you may have heard of named Kevin Fulta. So I'm I'm making videos with these interviews, and I'd love you to check them out. You can find them by searching No Ideas Media on YouTube or Facebook. Remember, that's no as in knowledge. 
Every week you'll find a new video featuring some exciting expert or topic to do with genetically engineered food. And the videos are really perfect for people who aren't super familiar with the science. So I encourage you to share them, especially with people in your lives who you know need to look at this scary topic of GMOs a little more pragmatically. Also, if you want to get in on a surprisingly constructive conversation about this topic and maybe even contribute to changing a few minds, follow No Ideas Media on Facebook and get in on our threads. It also really helps if you subscribe to the No Ideas Media YouTube channel just in terms of, you know, numbers and views and stuff like that. Plus, that way you'll always know when there's something new to watch and share. And let's be honest, being in the know is the best, right? That's why you're listening to this podcast after all, which, speaking of, I will probably let you get back to right now. Thanks a lot. And now we're back on the Talking Biotech podcast. We're speaking with Dr. Kelly Matson. She's the head of research and development and operations at Oxitech. And we're talking about the recent I guess you'd say dust up this week that happened around information about their release in Brazil. And a very reputable laboratory did a population study that was published in a rather visible journal, Scientific Reports, and um, really kind of stirred the pot a little bit in making some statements that maybe were not necessarily supported by the data, but left the uh, fear, uncertainty, and doubt to the level where the more credulous media was able to blow that up. So um, let's start at the beginning. Uh, tell me about the most recent results from Jacobina, Brazil. You know, what was the Oxitec assessment? Yeah, so this work was originally done between 2013 and 2015, and it was the type of release we talked about. Oxitec was releasing males in a neighborhood to do population suppression of Aedes aegypti. We had very good results. The population was well-controlled. When we stopped releases, the self-limiting genes disappeared from the environment and the population of mosquitoes came back. So that's all what we would expect. That's what we've been talking about for years. And the study that, that you've mentioned is a publication about data that was collected alongside that study um, and that was looking at what happens to the rest of the genetic background in the environment. Okay, so the, we're looking at the rest of the genetic background. So, uh, you know, this paper. It was in scientific reports, peer-reviewed, everything there. Um, a good, reputable journal. It's not a, you know, crazy predatory journal. And it comes from really an outstanding population genetics group. I mean, these folks know their stuff and they've done beautiful work over the years. But it kind of said that the, uh, t they inferred anyway, that the tests were problematic, that it made new strains of tech, of uh, mosquitoes that were more potent than, you know, perhaps more potent. Um, but what did their actual paper say, or what did the paper actually say about the populations of what the Oxitec mosquito, the OX513A, what did it actually say about them over time? So the main theme of the article is that from the small number of offspring that can survive from our first generation, OX513A, something we've documented in the literature, that three to five percent of the offspring can survive in the lab and then in the field, that those mosquitoes can go on to breed and that we can then tell the difference between the genetic background of OX513A, so everything except the self-limiting gene, and the genetic background of the mosquitoes local to Brazil. And so they can see that when we do releases, because we have this small number of survivors that we expect to have, that they can watch genes from the OX513A background appear in the genetic background in Brazil 
And what they also show is that those decline over time. And if they were to go back and test today, those genes would be gone. So they observe mixing of genetic backgrounds and then the reduction and loss of that over time. They've used an extremely sensitive technique. So it's not unlike doing 23andMe on mosquitoes. They can tell the difference between extremely closely related mosquitoes. You know, you and I would be more distantly related than these mosquitoes. And so they've they've been able to tell the difference and, and look at that in the environment. And overall, when I when I read that, um, it was short paper. It was really short. Um, the language was pretty conservative, but the idea was that it uh, had this very um, strong implication that this was an absolute disaster. And what was really funny about that was that, and, and maybe they don't know this. You know, maybe they're not familiar with the way that that the um, anti-genetic engineering or anti, you know, the pro-Zika people um, frame these kinds of reports. And, you know, they were saying things like, um, it's not known what the impacts at introgression of these genes have on disease control and transmission. Well, it's not known, but what, what that implies is, is that there is a problem, we just don't know what it is. And really what the answer really should have been was we have zero evidence that this would affect disease transmission. So you see how like that weird language, and it was throughout the entire report. And did you have any other thoughts on on, on just the way it was framed? Yeah, absolutely. And there's two things I want to pick up on there. One is, you're right, they say we just don't know what impact it's going to have. But they've actually generated very beautiful data in this paper that shows without any question that the OX513A background is no more likely to spread disease than the background that was locally there. So their own data say, yes, on this very important trait, OX513A is safe. They also speculate that maybe OX513A and its background genetics wouldn't be susceptible to insecticides. But there's information that's independently created you know, by groups other than ourselves that show we are susceptible to all the major classes of pesticides. So at the same moment where they're saying this could have big scary effects, they're also saying here are data that show that this is not a problem for this strain. So we're really unhappy with the speculative and misleading statements they've made that directly contradict their own data. Um, and that's a, a very um, upsetting and surprising result from, from scientific reports. Like you say, it's a reputable journal and they shouldn't be publishing statements that don't match the data in the paper. Well, it's kind of a failure of peer review. When I read that, I thought, you know, these are statements that that are inconsistent. They're super speculative. And, and if they were to say, you know, it, it would be tempting to speculate that there may be potential impacts that could arise from hybridization, you know, that kind of thing. Um, you know, certainly Jeff Powell's lab is as good as they get in what they do. And, and you know, I don't want to be too critical of you know, what they are or imply motivations, but they certainly in their words were insensitive to how these kinds of things can have direct impacts on human health. And, and if this slows the ability of a solution to curb an infectious disease, you know, this is kind of on them and on scientific reports. And, um, you know, if, if, if the other one that was in there, the other, and maybe this, you touched on this a bit is that it says, um, that it's very likely resulting in a more robust population than pre-release population due to hybrid vigor. 
But were there any data reported to verify or support that statement? They don't present any data to support that statement. In fact, again, they show that over time, the the genes from our laboratory-adapted strain are disappearing. So we expect the strain to be less able to survive out in the elements, and that's what they see. So there's nothing to support hybrid vigor um, as as a problem with this approach. And when you look at their data where they show that there's, um, you know, intermingling of different mosquito species, is that common? I mean, is that just what happens naturally? And then eventually the native populations just overwhelm those hybrids or, you know, you see the genes disappear from those populations over time? Yeah. So again, this is an invasive mosquito and this is a mosquito that is very good at traveling around the world. So Aes aegypti populations mix with each other all the time. And this is not a surprise. And because we knew we had this low level of survivorship, it's also not a surprise that genes would flow between these populations. And again, they've looked at the two most important traits. Can pesticides still control these mosquitoes? Will these mosquitoes be more likely to spread disease? And in both cases, the answer is no. These This is a very good background that has been responsibly selected and that is safe and effective for the use of this technology. And that's what the message that should have gone out is. But the real problem is, is that when you take something that has a public controversy, like a genetically engineered mosquito, which, you know, science seems pretty tight on this. When you have that, and then you put a paper like this with these kinds of implied risks that are, that they show with their own data are purely speculative or non-existent. And now you hand this to this rabid anti um, biotech, anti genetic engineering um, um, world that we live in. It turns into like this massive popular press mess. And uh, I've seen like on different articles, I can't remember where the one was now, but you know, many of them say, here it is, a massive failure that is now causing risk to people. And so, in in a word or two, well, however many you want, (laughs) um, was it a failure? This was absolutely not a failure for us. This was another trial that showed how effective this technology can be. They didn't report anything that we wouldn't have expected to see. And again, this level of control that we achieved is what vector control agencies dream of. You know, this is how we control disease. And the authors themselves are pursuing a number of other strategies that would involve releasing mosquitoes into the environment that would rely on this kind of technology being accepted by the public. And they're scaring people away from safe and effective solutions that can save lives. Yeah, I guess that's the part that really, um, you know, really bothers me is because here you guys are in the business here of trying to save people from preventable disease by controlling an insect vector with a safe and ecologically low impact or no impact technique. This is as good as it gets in my mind. Yet from a communications perspective, we've now seen a scientific report and it's associated social media fallout and it's, uh, you know, misrepresentation in the popular press now is sought now is effectively eroded the trust and social license of Oxytech to release this. And, uh, do you think that there's a that that is the idea and the strategy of some of these groups? Like, why do they? Why do you think speculate as to why they th- 
think this is a good idea to knock down this technology? For me, I don't understand it. This kind of irresponsible messaging in a scientific journal is incredibly damaging. I mean, it uses speculation and incorrect conclusions to try to erase the 10 years of safety and efficacy data in, in the minds of the public. And Octatech are fortunate. We are probably the best studied mosquito control tool there is out there. And we have this enormous body of literature to try to communicate with the public about what we do, why we do it, how it works. And we also have these excellent regulatory bodies that have provided clear assessments. But you're right, when when this runs rampant in the media, you can really set us back in terms of the public trusting um, our record. And so what we do is we just try to put as much information out there and to communicate um, through podcasts like this, through any other kinds of media, to put facts and truth back into the discussion. Well, facts and truth, you know, and I, and I think that this is really a um, an important action item for listeners. Now, we you know, we have a lot of listeners now. I mean, we're 3,500, 5,000 a week. And it may not seem like that many, but most of them are very motivated science enthusiasts who really have a commitment to human health, making people uh, happier, healthier, less disease, especially those that we can control. And this is a place for anyone listening to take to social media, share this podcast, talk to others and, and share the story about how these mosquito controls can work to solve some really insidious and easily controllable diseases and how we can get away from chemistry and insecticides by using these types of um, very well-traveled sterile insect techniques. But this is up to you to really start to share these stories. So, you know, Dr. Matson, if other people wanted to learn more about this, if they wanted to learn about Oxitec or follow you on social media, where would they do that? Yep, we are on both Twitter and Facebook. Our website is oxytech.com and there's tons of information there. And there was one there's one more thing I would ask of your listeners, which is we are currently in the middle of an open comment period with the EPA about our second generation release um, that we're planning on doing in the US. And this is an opportunity to say to the EPA, we need these new tools. This is important. You should look at these technologies. And so on regulations.gov, there's an opportunity to have your say on the Octatech approach and why it's important for us to give it a try. That's a great point. And, and let me emphasize that again. And I'll leave a link on the podcast website associated with this particular episode. It is critical to do this. If you go to regulations.gov, and, we'll, and I'll put the link here, you'll get to see who's chiming in. And it's all absolutely crazy talk, and regulators have to consider this stuff. Look at the rules for what they're looking for. And maybe I'll even be able to post a sample on my blog about you know what a sample letter would look like. Prepare a letter that follows their rules and emphasizes the science. And, uh, you know, the, the other stuff that is there that says we don't want Franken mosquitoes biting our children and spreading, you know, whatever, you know, the, the comments are crazyville, but, uh, and scientists, maybe there's a few that chime in, you know, you might get, you know, <laughs> five or six in a public comment period. And it's usually me, um, doing one of them. Um, but so definitely go there and chime in. 
So once again, you know, Dr. Kelly Manson, thank you so much for joining me today. And, you know, listeners, thank you for listening as well. Um, we appreciate every week. We appreciate, I appreciate. <laughs> I always make it sound like a big operation, but um, <clears throat> I do the uh, production. I do the website. I do the whole bit. So thank you very, very much for listening. Uh, write a review on iTunes, Spotify, Twitter, whatever. I don't know, wherever you put a review these days and um, share it with a friend. This technology is just a great example of the things we can do for, with biotechnology that can have profound human impacts. And it's communication about these topics that helps them get our best innovation to application. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. Send your suggestions for guests, comments, or questions to talkingbiotech at gmail.com. Please write a review of this podcast on iTunes and recommend it to a friend. More downloads help us reach a wider audience with science. You've been listening to Talking Biotech, sponsored by Calabra, the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's electronic lab notebook, scientists can work together in real time sharing data and insights with ease. Revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at collabra.app, C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.